Can our economy continue to grow forever? Welcome to Future 39 with John Katsuri. Economies are typically measured in growth. Did you have a good quarter? Did you have a good year? Are you up? Are you down? Growth is automatically good. Contraction is automatically bad. Well, we're seeing a lot of bad right now with coronavirus, right? And the economy basically coming down to a standstill in some countries. But is this philosophy of everlasting growth a good way, a right way to think about our economy? Or is it something that's killing us? To talk with us today, I'd like to bring on Bob Leonard, who is the author of Moving to a Finite Earth Economy. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. I want to... Mentioned that I am the co-author. The other author is the futurist David Hool. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for that. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. I mean, let's start with the biggest fact in our lives right now, which is coronavirus, which is affecting all of us right now. You're sheltering in place. I'm sheltering in place as well. We're not going out to our offices. We're not flying anywhere. We're not crossing borders. It actually has brought the economy somewhat to a standstill, and we've seen some uh, environmental impacts of that. Correct. Yes, that that is correct. I mean, this is not the way you want to go about it, but we do need to to stop stressing the ecosystem. It's amazing because I have friends in India and, for instance, in Delhi, um, where where often you can't see across the street because of smog and dust and 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 smoke and other pollution, and they've got blue skies for the first time in in decades. I've talked to friends in uh, Germany where they're seeing animals come back, right? The cars are gone and the animals are coming back into some of the towns, other things like that. Maybe to kick this off, um, because we're not just talking about coronavirus and this, what we hope is a temporary slowdown in all activity. What is a finite earth economy? What does that look like? What does that, what does that mean? Well, the basic concept is uh, you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. Uh, our current version of capitalism, deregulated, predatory, if you will, capitalism, uh, requires constant growth. And that's how uh, nations, especially the U.S. and the U.K., but even China uh, and Russia, um, measure the health of their countries is with gross domestic product. Now, gross domestic product only measures financial transactions, only measures how much stuff is manufactured and sold. So uh, in the finite earth economy, we uh, recommend, uh, we outline uh, removing GDP as that single metric of of health um, and replacing it with uh, metrics for the well-being of people and the well-being of the environment. Now, businesses would still be concerned with profit, but we take the government out of that business. The government uh, no longer is only concerned with profit. Uh, There used to be a saying in the U.S., maybe Canada, too, uh, what's good for America, what's good for GM is good for America. Yes. Well, that's not true. (laughs) It might have been true in the 40s and 50s when there was room for growth, but now we've run out of room. 
Well, that's interesting, right? Because in the past, there's always been a frontier, right? There's always been a place to go. There's been, there's been the West to develop. There's been the new world, right? There's been uh, other places to expand to. And, and at least locally, we've run out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've run out of it. On, on a, man is the only animal that can live in the Arctic and in the jungle and at the equator. And, you know, uh, we've we've run out of uh, we've run out of space and are are chewing up habitat, chewing up biodiversity, uh, chewing up land that is allowed to lay fallow, uh, virgin forests, etc., which is how the earth replenishes itself what does <clears throat> so let's say we move to a finite earth economy what does that mean in terms of what we produce how we produce how we consider the byproducts of production how we consider the full lifespan of a product okay well we would move first of all for, we would re-regulate capitalism uh, put those regulations in place that we had in the 50s and 60s that uh, were guarded against uh, economic collapse and uh, also made sure that working people made a living wage. The, uh, the profits the, uh, from, from capitalism were more fairly uh, allotted. Uh, now, beyond that, the the whole uh, circular economy, which uh, began in the 70s, if that had caught on, if it really uh, was a 100% circular economy, we would not be in the crisis that we're in today. The the reality is it's only 8% of of the global economy. So uh, we need to make, to extend circular. Are you familiar with cradle to cradle? Yeah, a little bit, but maybe talk about what circular economy is. I'm assuming that means that everything that comes into the economy, there's a purpose, there's, 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 there's a plan for how it, how it exits the economy as well. That's right. Uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. Well, the recycle piece is broken. The, the, uh, in the uh, 60s, uh, there was a Keep America Beautiful campaign. Uh, that was actually uh, a front for a lobby for the beverage industry. They wanted to move from glass bottles for beer and milk and soda to disposable containers. And they very cleverly launched this campaign, which put the blame on the consumer you've got this uh, soda can, you, you've got this milk carton. Now, if you throw it in the street, that, that's your fault. So now you need to recycle it. Um, okay, so we, we all got our little canisters and we recycle our, our stuff. Um, and that went okay for a while until the volume got to be too much. And then uh, China, was was sending cargo here goods here and the ships were returning to china empty so they said well let's take some stuff from america uh we can get paid for it those ships won't be empty on the return so they said give us your plastic waste so for 25 years they took our plastic waste and then in 2018 they said you know what 
no more. We're not <laughs> doing that. So now the plastic waste goes into landfills or it gets incinerated or it gets thrown into back into the environment and ends up in the oceans. Um, so it was it's not really circular. Well, but, and, 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 and in a lot of cases, I don't think it ever was because some places didn't actually collect it. So maybe California was fairly green and there was a bit of a circular economy there. But I remember going to the Grand Old Opry in Nashville, Tennessee, probably about seven years ago. And we ordered uh, food at this place called, I think it was Stacks, in, inside that big uh, hotel that's connected there. That's all, it's like five or six acres under glass and, and boats and canals and restaurants in there, whatever. We ordered food there. I got a burger and every piece of that burger came in an individual plastic container. The pickle was in an individual plastic <laughs> container. The tomato uh, was in an individual plastic container. The onion, the bun, the meat, everything. And it was like, I, I felt, I've never felt more sinful eating, <laughs> eating a meal because there was no place to separate that out either. That all went into the landfill. Okay. In this case, it would be the restaurant, I guess. But the manufacturers become responsible for that. Mm -hmm. They have to. So uh, laundry detergent. They, they are responsible for taking that plastic bottle back and reusing it, uh, whether they, they, it's put back into production or they just refill it, whatever it is, the, um, the manufacturers become responsible for the waste that happens with their products. I think that's been something that we haven't... Uh... We've passed on to the future, maybe passed on to the earth, the full cost of a product. I mean, it, it's something mm. that I've wondered about for some time. You, you, you create a plastic container. And by the way, you're talking about the beverage industry. I think Coca-Cola was labeled as the biggest polluter in the, on the planet uh, mm. because of their, their plastic containers this past year. But we pass on to the future that cost because that cost isn't just, hey, I, I've got to produce this thing. Where does it go afterwards? And the costs mm. are actually... Dealing with that, uh, an old TV, an old computer, an old phone, all that stuff needs to be built into the cost of not just production, but also sale so that we've got, got that ability to return those materials into this life cycle of products, correct? Well, well, that's, I mentioned cradle to cradle. That's designing a product from the ground up to be recycled. So after it's useful, first of all, no more planned obsolescence quality not quantity so you 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 design and manufacture products that are built to last they'll cost more uh the consumer will have to pay that but they won't be buying a, a, a new uh, iphone every two years um the uh, so i lost my train of thought what was <laughs> you you know what that makes me think of though it, it's quite interesting you're talking cradle to grave so i'm sure your thought will come back to you my wife has an umbrella that her grandmother gave her 25 years ago that we still use regularly. This umbrella is in perfect working order, perfect condition. I'm sure it was not cheap, but how many umbrellas don't last the season that they were bought for, right? Uh, producing products that will last, there, there, there's, there's, there's some beauty and elegance in that as well as environmental sense. Yes, that's the... the it's a different paradigm we've come into this disposable paradigm and planned obsolescence so quality not quantity 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a, a, a science uh, called biomimicry. Nature creates abundance all day, every day with no waste. Nature has had 3.8 billion years of trial and error uh, R&D to, to come up with elegant solutions. So by studying nature, we can do that too. And it is being done. It's already being done. It's growing uh, biomimicry. Uh, up till now, it has mostly been um, faster, lighter, stronger, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But if you marry that with cradle to cradle, which actually a chapter that I wrote in the book, uh, it, it, you create a, a system that has uh, very little waste and uh, requires much less extraction of minerals from the earth, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, a, a much cleaner system and a sustainable uh, or even regenerative system. So if we look at uh, a finite earth economy, what does growth look like? How do we measure growth in a finite earth economy? Well, you don't. You don't. It doesn't, you know, it, uh, again, uh, companies are going to want to profit, but they can profit by making less. Uh, Yves Schwinard, the, the CEO of uh, Patagonia, uh, 20 years ago, launched a company with an anti-growth strategy. And he's a billionaire. He's been very successful. So it can be done. Um, it's just uh, changing mindsets and uh, political will, plas- passing the regulations. Uh, some corporations will do it on their own, others won't. The CEO of um, Unilever came out with a statement, Unilever's gigantic multinational sure. consumer products, good company, came out with a statement, and I'm not gonna get this word for word, but basically he was saying, uh, uh, Killing the planet is not a good uh, business uh, model. You know? <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Newsflash. Yeah. We don't want to kill our customers. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Now, there could be some difference in terms of measuring growth as we have an increasingly digital economy and as we have increasingly mm-hmm. digital um, products. And, and so, for instance, we can't go to the movie theaters right now. So uh, our family rented something, uh, actually bought a movie on on Apple, um, uh, from Apple uh, iTunes. I don't even know if they call it iTunes anymore when it's on the Apple TV, but we bought a movie and, and we watch it. Now, there is economic cost to that, right? Our TV is running, the server farm is running, uh, the el- there's electricity on the wires, there's elect- there, there's there's data coming to our house, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all that stuff, but there isn't a physical product being created, and so there right. there can be. Uh, how do you see growth happening when when our, as our economy moves more to digital goods? Well, you're you're going to be uh, yeah. Instead of instead of go, getting in your car and driving to the movie theater, you're you're doing it at home, and you're still paying I, probably not as much there aren't as many middlemen involved in the transaction but uh, uh universal studios or whoever created the product gets paid mm-hmm. uh apple or netflix uh, they get paid uh the transport uh, of the system that uh, they get paid so 
all that is good and and fine. And if the energy that uh, underwrites that that powers the the uh, server farm and and powers the distribution channel, uh, if if that all comes from uh, solar or hydro or wind, then it's clean. And that's you know the sun doesn't send a bill. That's the best thing about the sun. That's wonderful. And that's a great segue, actually, because the next question I was going to ask you is about energy production and where you see that needing to go. Well, it's it's here. You know, the the, uh, so instead of subsidizing the fossil fuel industry, which we still do to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars, take that money and and put it into R&D and, and helping solar, helping wind. Uh, hydro is pretty much a mature industry, so I don't, I don't know that it needs needs help. But it, this is a little bit of a controversial uh, topic, but in the book, we recommend nuclear. There's a uh, um, new nuclear uh, stage for uh, something for they're smaller units, much cheaper to to uh, build, uh, distributed, that use spent fuel from from nuclear reactors. Uh, so that is another, and I'm sure there are others. Uh, fusion. There, there's many. Well, many. There's some that uh, um, need to be funded. They they need to R and D in order to bring those to market. And um, we are not doing that or we're not doing enough of it. At this well, point. And, and the U.S. is actually doing a lot less of it in the last uh, six years or so. Right. I mean, uh, solar has lost some of its subsidies, other things like that. And yet yep. in spite of that, solar has been growing. Solar has been globally. There are Scandinavian countries that have run themselves, operated themselves entirely on renewable energy, including solar and wind. Yep. Um, the big deal in the North Sea there um, for periods of time. Uh, so we see that the future is possible there. Are you also of the opinion that we should distribute that farther so that we, we go away from uh, a totally centralized distribution model of energy into a more decentralized model where I might have solar panels, you might have uh, wind power, somebody else might have a little bit of hydroelectricity or whatever the case might be, and we all kind of feed into a grid? Yeah, uh, into the grid or off the grid, distributed. Uh, the utility companies, they want to maintain that monopoly. They want to maintain control because if they don't, they're, they're out of business. So um, regulations today require that you hook into the grid. And if you if you uh, have more power than you need, then you feed it to the grid. If you don't have enough power from the sun's not shining today, or you don't have the batteries, um, then they feed into you. Uh, but it's a much more resilient system than having it uh, centralized. Exactly, Imagine, much more fault tolerant if there's an earthquake or there's a fire somewhere. Hurricane. California has issues with fires and sparking wires. I've yeah. often felt that the utilities shouldn't feel like they would die 
if energy production was decentralized. We still need some centralized places when, you know, there's an accident or we need some extra energy pumped in for peak demand or other things like that. But their business could transition from being solely about producing and distributing to distributing and distributing equitably and then allocating resources to people based on how much they contribute and how much they use. I think there's a valid business model to be had in there still. Sure, sure there is. Uh, It's much more of a um, decentralized and uh, not uh, control of the resource, um, share, rent uh, type of uh, business models. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, one thing that you talk about, um, you have a passenger versus crew mentality. Um, yeah. And as you're talking about a finite earth economy, can you talk a little bit of what, what, what that means and what that implies? The um, prior to this book, David wrote a book called The Spaceship Earth, and it it comes from a term uh, coined by uh, Arbuckminster Fuller. And uh, David came up with the concept of crew consciousness. And what that means is most of us, including myself until about a decade ago, uh, thought of ourselves or didn't really think about it but lived like a passive passenger on spaceship earth we need to evolve to understanding and acting like active crew members on spaceship earth so that we become stewards of the resources Mm -hmm. um, so that we are aware of our um, carbon footprint or other footprint of things like we were talking about before about garbage we you know we put the uh the can out by the street and the guy comes and they take it away well it doesn't go away <laughs> doesn't disappear no it's just not in front of your house anymore um so crew and, and different people will have different ideas different you know there's a thousand different things that you can do to improve how we live uh, on the planet and mm-hmm. and uh, promote the health of the ecosystem, which we all rely on. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You don't have to do a thousand. You know, pick the two or three that resonate with you because they're going to be different than the ones that resonate with me. And if we all do it, we're good. That's like the Helen Keller quote, right? I can't do everything, but I can do one thing. And I will do the one thing that I can do, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there are some, obviously, who 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 are trying to do some of those things. And so I'm going to refer to Elon Musk here. He's doing a lot of solar, a lot of electrification of transport and other things like that, but also has a very strong Mars vision um, and, 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 and is building something like a thousand starships over the next few years which is an immense number an unprecedented mm-hmm. number uh incredible number um to uh ostensibly launch a permanent human presence on mars uh, thoughts on that well I, you know i'm not in elon musk's league um he is a genius and he has accomplished a lot and along with the solar is are the batteries which is a huge piece of that because the sun doesn't always shine um i the whole mars concept i i disagree with personally um 
we have an atmosphere here. Why go someplace where there's no atmosphere? Um, let's fix, you know, let's take all that investment, but which he is doing too, um, and, and fix our issues here. So make our home livable here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know. yeah there are a lot of people who feel that way like let's not spend uh, billions of dollars going to the stars uh, which we're not going to reach anyways but the other planets and maybe the moon and space and other things like that let's fix our problems here i hope that we can do both um i, I see a lot of potential for um the future our imaginations need to grow even if our economy doesn't and and i absolutely love uh the idea of of humans landing and living on another planet in our solar system I wanted to turn it comes back to, to that. Go ahead. It comes back to that expansion idea you were saying before yes. we've run out of frontiers. Well, Elon has not run out of frontiers. 100%. Absolutely. Good <laughs> point. I wanted to bring in Bhutan uh, because they do something super interesting, right? They measure gross national happiness. Now, right. that sounds uh, to some that's airy fairy, that's lame, that's, you know, how do you even measure that, other things like that. To others, that's kind of what a country is about, right? A country is all of us coming together and saying, hey, you know, we're going to help each other, we're going to work together, we're going to build this thing that none of us could build individually, build it together, we're going to care for each other. Thoughts on that? It's it's part of uh, the finite earth economy. Uh, what you're replacing what GDP with, gross national happiness, um, I, I, uh, New Zealand last year also came out with a similar concept and, uh, they call it, uh, um, a well-being budget. Uh, they're measuring things like quality of education, uh, quality of health care, longevity, mental health, physical health, uh, uh the, uh, the poverty levels, uh, those are the things that uh, the components that go into the gross national happiness. It's not, uh, you know, uh, how, there's actual reality you... there. There's statistics, there's numbers. It's hard, uh, hard evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not a frivolous approach. It's a, it's a very pragmatic approach. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, so, Let's just end here, maybe. Uh, we have this coronavirus epidemic, pandemic going on. We kind of see something of what a putting the brakes on the global economy has done. We see that in New Delhi. We see that all across the U.S. We see that in Canada. We see that in China, where pollution indexes have gone way down. Uh, do you think that this could be a bit of a watershed moment, maybe, for people to see, hey, you know what it's nice to breathe clean air <laughs> it's nice to have clean water it's great to have a thriving environment do you think this can be a watershed moment to maybe galvanizing more opinion for that i hope so i, th I hope that people see you know uh we can change we can change the way we live we governments can step up and take action um uh, the uh, this there maybe there is a better way maybe there is a different way um the uh i hope it promotes that kind of uh evolution to accrue consciousness to a looking at things a bit differently it doesn't just because this is the way it's always been doesn't mean that it always has to be that way 
That's a great comment and that's a great place to end. I want to thank you, Bob, for being part of this. It's a real pleasure to have you on. And for everybody who's been with us, joining us on Future 39, whatever platform you're on, thank you. Uh, please like it, subscribe, comment. If you're listening to the podcast later on, if you like this, please rate it, review it. Thank you so much. Until next time, this is John Goods here with Future 39.